0: We're starting a new series this morning. Good morning. Starting a new series on the book of James. And I guess that was my question. uh, Are we about the business of a show that is about nothing? We'll get a little bit more into that in a minute. But So last week, Jason, uh, he mentioned that... um, the text that we've been in over the past, uh, what has it been, 12 weeks or something like that with uh, Romans 8, um, it almost like could have been the end of the text of Romans. Um, the beginning of Romans 8 just announces that, you know, therefore there, there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ. Um, and he ends... The section that we, we studied last week. At, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That would have been a fine ending, like Jason had said. But we have a lot more Romans to cover, but before we do that, I thought that it might be wise to take 11 weeks to walk through this book of James, this letter of James. Because like Anne mentioned before, um, James is a lot about the doings. Um, rightly so, Christians uh, are very steadfast in preaching the gospel that it is by grace alone that we are saved. That not by the righteous things that we've done um, does Christ save us, but because of his mercy. Yet we are called to live in proper response to that. We're called to think about the actions that we take every day, the um, the actions that are right in this present moment, and also about the things that might um, be ahead of us, and how to how to um, build our character through Christ. Um, so we named the series "What You Just Did?" Question mark. So when I was a kid, uh, when I was kid, when my son James was a kid, and we won't talk about him too much, but yes, it is kind of cute that. We're doing this series on James, and my son is named James. That's the end of it. Anyway, so when he was a kid, when he was—he's well, still a kid—but when he was really little, and we did something that he didn't understand, he said, "What you just did?" You know, when he tried to like figure out what it was we were doing, whether it was—I don't know—ordering from a, a box at you know a drive-through window or something like that—that that just didn't quite make sense and trying to figure out what the bottom line is to why we did something, he'd say, what you just did. The book of James, as much of the rest of the biblical canon, is one that offers historical mystery, practical advice, and a difficult mandate to those Christians attempting to live in the tension between the belief of justification by faith alone and the various responses to such faith. The letter is commonly attributed to the James mentioned at various times throughout the New Testament as Jesus' own earthly brother. At first, this James questioned his brother's messianic claims, but in time would come to be respectfully referred to as a pillar of the faith by Paul in Galatians, and even preside over the Jerusalem council recorded in the book of Acts. While the question of authorship may not be of vital importance for gleaning wisdom from the epistle, the concept that the letter was penned by the hand of Jesus' own brother gives it a personal connection that is unique to most of scripture. If some in the Christian community have expressed concerns over the author being apostolic, the issues don't seem to be with his consistency with the Jesus narratives. James commentator Peter Davids records, for example, that no less than 36 various parallels made between the Epistle and the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, James may not have been as frequent a character in the New Testament narrative as Paul and Peter and John, but cross-referencing the text with Jesus' own words, especially the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't seem to be the problem. So, if authorship can be attributed to Jesus' brother— History records this James had come to be referred to as James the Just, one who was known for his exceptional righteousness. One commentator recalls that James had spent so much time in prayer that his callous knees resembled that of a camel. The same source notes that James was a martyr, having been thrown off the pinnacle of the temple in 62 of the Common Era, for of all things, breaking the law. While tradition holds it that the author of the James epistle was indeed James, the brother of Jesus, that by no means settles the matter. One commentator actually provides several reasons for why Jesus' brother may not have been the author. First of all, the author doesn't claim to be Jesus' brother in the text or even a position of leadership or authority within the first century, um, within the first century church. Also, the quality of the Greek, and this is from a commentator, not me, The quality of of the Greek used in the text is actually a high uh, Hellenistic language, and it's rather higher than one would expect from a Galilean Jew. Regardless of the scholarly opinion on authorship, however, the truth is that certain knowledge of source would, would only be the beginning of the Christian's business with the James Epistle, even if we knew that. He doesn't really talk about it, doesn't he? Even if it said from some other source that James, the brother of Jesus, definitely wrote this thing, he doesn't bother bringing it up. He brings up one thing. One thing about himself, one piece of solid biographical information. What does he say about himself? The text records that the individual writing this letter identifies himself as James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is directing what's to come to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. While this seemingly vague salutation does leave the question of his identity unanswered, there is one significant point that is quite clear. The fact that James unequivocally identifies himself as a bondservant of Christ. He immediately grounds the first century letter in a Christian context. In this context, it would have been known to readers and hearers that the writer was one who believed that he had been bought at a price by a master or a lord. This language insists that James was writing from the point of view of one converted to Christ's gospel and perhaps gives more meaning to its intended audience. See, since about the third century B.C., Around the time of the Punic Wars, uh, gave way to Rome. The Roman Empire capturing hundreds of men and women as slaves, of women men and women as prisoner, and been brought into Italy as slaves. Uh, This developed a change in the nature of the very Roman society. By the time the Republic fell, which was right around uh, right before the time of Christ, there were roughly two to three million slaves in Italy, thirty-five to forty percent of the population. Slaves during the time of the Roman Empire occupied some of the most undesirable jobs: garbage collection, mining, acting, prostitution. Greek slaves also held high-profile jobs um, as tutors or teachers to Roman children and even physicians in some cases. Slaves nursed infants and cared and played with children so often that Roman law, the head of the hu- that under Roman law, the head of the household was to consider a slave to be part of his family. The philosopher Seneca, writing around the same time as uh, James's letter, wrote that the least of your slaves around the Roman... Uh, I'm sorry, the least of your slaves holds over you the power of life and death. So for James, and Paul, for that matter, writing a first century circular letter that was to be distributed around the Roman Empire meant something. You know, the bulletin will tell you that I am New Hope's assistant pastor. I'm here to tell you that I'm not worthy to be Christ's servant. I'm here to tell you that by God's grace alone, do I have the honor of calling myself Christ's slave. A few weeks ago, I was uh, lamenting the fact that uh, I wanted to listen to some Rush when your pastor is a Jason Poling, you end up listening to a lot of Rush. And <laughs> I went to Pandora, and I put the word Rush into Pandora. And then, like, the Beatles started playing, or, you know, the Rolling Stones, which bands I love, but it wasn't Rush. So I was, like, really angry. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm going to go on Facebook and complain about this, because that's the appropriate venue for my, you know. And I go on Facebook, and I'm just bombarded With so much stuff of the people, probably in all of you, on your Facebook pages saying that, oh, I just finished my master's degree, or I just got this certificate, I just got this, that, and the other thing. So many people that had so much more important things to say than, man, Pandora is bad at rush songs. So I've seen your Facebook pages, and I've seen your LinkedIn pages. And I don't think for an instant that you are leading lives that are shows about nothing. You are business owners, your CEOs, your leaders, your encouragers, your doctors, your lawyers, fathers, and mothers. Many of you are the head of your field, earning certificates and winning awards and doing work that is literally changing the world. You are incredible people, and I love you to death. So, it is with all of the humility that I can muster to ask you, are you living a faith of proper response to the immeasurable grace extended to you by our great God? Or did you just get up and come to work? A few weeks ago, when we were on our Edge Retreat, we had the uh, opportunity to, to visit, a, um, they have a worship service actually on the site, and we talked about it, and we ended up going, and it was a great time, but uh, the singer that was going to be playing and in, in leading the worship time wasn't there. So Amy and I, I guess we were singing loud or something like that, and the, the, the pastor looked over to us, and he's like, yeah, keep singing loud, it's great, you know, you're, you're carrying me so I don't have to sing this stuff too loud and lead everybody in my bad voice. And it was great because, you know, we had a great time. But then afterwards, the pastor comes up to me and he says, I just want to let you know that your daughter and you have a lovely voice. <laughs> All this is to say, my flesh does get in the way of that uh, character development. Maybe all those cheeseburgers aren't helping my appearance. Um, But my hope remains steadfast. Steadfast because we are slaves to a king. Slaves to the king of the universe who, as Paul says in Colossians, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He goes on to say that, the firstborn from the dead, and in him all things he may have. The preeminence, that is our master. That is our our Lord. We are slaves to the king of the universe. Amen. It is that God who has not given up on you. It is that king who has taken you to be a part of his family. Paul writes in the Philippians that there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day that Christ Jesus appears. My hope is that in this series, as we start moving through the book of James, this series will help to remind us of the God who loves us exactly the way we are, yet refuses to leave us that way. I think that um, confession is an incredible place to begin that. I love the fact that a part of our worship service at New Hope, we say that opening, opening, opening confessional prayer, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. It's a part of our worship to say we're not there yet. Thought, word, and deed. That's what we're going to be thinking about this, in this series. I have a, uh, the honor of... Uh, I see a lot of different people throughout the day. And there's one woman that um, I've seen occasionally, and every time I've seen her... Um, she'll say something to the effect of, like, give me the word of encouragement, Joe. I guess she knows that I work for the church, and I'm more equipped for some reason to, to give her words of encouragement, but she says, oh, Joe's here. He's going to tell me something strong or something good. And the first time she said it, I said, well, I'll think about it. I'll pray on it. And I went away, and I saw this little poem. I mean, you work uh, as an exterminator you get to see a lot of people's refrigerators and I've seen this little thing this little quote on like tons of people's refrigerators it says hello this is God I will be handling all of your problems today I will not be needing your assistance so have a great day and I went back to her and I had that in my mind and I said that to her And I said, have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that on a a, a refrigerator? And she said, yeah. And she kind of got all glossy-eyed, like I I was really going to make a point about that thing. Like that's really the point of all life. And I said, I just want to let you know that I think that's crap. I think God wants to be an intimate part of your life. I think God wants you to use the brain that he gave you. And it's funny, a few weeks later, I went back and... She said the same thing, and she said, like, I need some words of encouragement, Joe. I just know that if I muster my own strength, if I just muster my own willpower, then then I'll be able to accomplish anything. But I I need more encouragement. And I said, oh, well, this one's a lot easier. I, I actually don't need to think as much about this one. Let's be clear about something. You were never meant to be the rock. It's his strength that by, by his strength you get up in the morning. By his strength are you fed. It's by his gifts in your life that your world goes round. In him all things consist. So I thought about those two occasions and kind of the what are they, juxtaposition of those two things. And for me, it reminds me that What God's been whispering in my ear lately is more about him being in charge than him being in control. In Romans 12, later on, we'll get to, Paul talks about and calls us to the renewal of our minds. And T. Wright says it like this. He says, Paul wants all Christians to have their minds renewed so that they can think in a different way. We all face many challenges, not only in the severe uh, sphere of morality as such, but in a thousand different contexts. It won't simply do to go into autopilot and hope to get through somehow. That will work only when we have trained ourselves in the necessary habits. But to do that requires careful and disciplined thought in this new mode, probably over some time. We have to be able to think about what to do what to do with our whole lives, and what to do in the sudden crisis that faces us this very minute. Being trained to think Christianly is the necessary antidote to what will happen otherwise, being, as Paul says, squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. So we're going to look over thought, and we're going to consider things like in August, B.J. Hall is going to actually be standing here and give us a sermon on heavenly wisdom. You know, we're going to look um, somewhere in there. We're going to look at pride and prejudice through the lens of humility. So we're going to be trying to think about ways to renew our mind. And then that's going to lead to our words. Mark and Kendall are actually going to together be up, well, probably not up here together, but maybe over there. And they're going to talk about our words and discuss, like, the power of the tongue. The last sermon in the series, we're going to discuss the power of communicating to God through prayer and confession. And then that's going to lead us also to discussing our our deeds, the things that we actually do. In two weeks, we're going to consider how a life of faith needs to not only... um, that, that those that live a life of faith need to not only be hearers of the word, but also doers. We're going to talk about useless religion that advocates a faith apart from works. Rick Feint is going to discuss what it looks like for a Christian to plan. Like, if that's the case, if God's in, in charge, what does it look like for a Christian to plan? And then next week, Steve Chastain is going to talk to us about our call to count it all joy even when falling into various temptations and trials. James is writing to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, and Anne mentioned this before. The twelve tribes is an obvious reference to the twelve tribes of Israel, God's chosen people whose story unfolds throughout the Hebrew Scriptures and culminates with the current occupation of the Roman Empire in Palestine. God had not only promised to the patriarch Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed, but that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. It is reasonable to conclude that James was saying something about how God's covenant with Israel, the covenant that called them blessed to be a blessing, was going to be realized and intimately connected with Jesus Christ. Why else would Jesus' slave be writing to the 12 tribes of Israel? So I leave you with this. For those of you that are in Christ, that question that I asked before, are you living a life of proper response? What choices do you need to make today to change the direction that you're headed? What choices do you need to make moving forward? What little things can you add to your life? Things like your prayer life, things like the time that you spend in the Word. Because for those of us that are in Christ, what you just did was sign up for a revolution. Let's pray. Thanks, good Father, for your faithfulness to this community. We thank you that... We can come here weekly. We can meet in each other's homes. We can play together. We can work together. And we can remind each other that the kingdom that we're building for is revolutionary. Revolutionary and put in charge by the king of the universe. We pray that the God who fills all things might, might be alive and well in this body and that we might feel your Holy Spirit working in us and through us. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So we're going out with a bang.